Hey everybody, welcome back to the Extemper's Bible with your host, Ananth Feluvali. Today I want to talk about framing questions, because depending if you get a question like, should a country do X, versus will a country do X, your response should be very different. But before that, I just want to provide a few quick updates about this organization. First, as promised, we're getting extra help, so in the future, you may not see me hosting all of the podcast episodes on this platform. Second, while the extemp season may be winding down, this organization certainly will not be. To the opposite effect, I'm going to be a lot more active on this podcast, and you'll continue to see us post on our website, extempers.org. Finally, I'm trying something less formal. Instead of reading off a script, I'm speaking off the cuff in hopes of making these conversations a little bit more accessible and, unsurprisingly, conversational. Now, with all of that out of the way, I want to quickly talk about answering questions, and specifically, why does it matter how you frame a question? So, to start, let's just think about this. Every time someone writes a question, each word they select is very deliberate. And as a result, one word can very well make the difference between you getting a 1 versus you getting a 6 in a round. I'll give you an example. Let's say you get a question like, should the United States pass Medicare for all versus will the United States pass Medicare for all? Those are two entirely different questions. And depending on the way you answer it, you can either get the 1 or the 6. If you answer a should question with a will answer, that's not really answering the question. If you don't answer the question, there's big reason why the judge may be skeptical, and thus you may not get the rank you want. So with that out of the way, I just want to talk about a few different question frameworks, and I've outlined four different ones. Should blank do blank? Will blank do blank? Is blank possible? And how can blank do blank? So all of these questions we're going to break down, and we're going to start with the should blank do blank. In a question like this, you want to examine all of the different incentive structures. As an example, one question I once drew was, what should Pete Buttigieg's biggest priority be as head of the Department of Transportation? Obviously, your response to that question is going to vary completely, depending on who you're thinking about this question from the lens of. If you're an American taxpayer, you want Pete Buttigieg to do what's best for the American public. If you're Pete Buttigieg, you probably want to do what's best for your political career, and it will put you in the best position to run for president in the future. And let's say you're a country like China even, you probably want the United States to actually do what is the least effective, so the U.S. decreases its position on the world stage. Now, obviously that last example is a bit extreme, but it highlights a point. You need to be able to effectively frame the speech around where we should be examining this from. Should we be examining what's the most moral thing to do and what's best for the American public? Or should we be examining this from what's best for Pete Buttigieg in his political career? Maybe you want to take both. Either way, you need to start framing that in your introduction, because that's really where answering these questions starts. And if you don't have an effective introduction, the rest of your speech is on an unstable foundation. So, as a result, when you get a question like that, maybe you justify it by saying, Pete Buttigieg has two obligations as head of the Department of Transportation. On one hand, as a servant to the American public and a civil service representative, he needs to do what's best for the American public. While on the other hand, Pete Buttigieg, as an aspiring politician, needs to do what's best for his political career. 
And then maybe in your thesis, you say, Pete Buttigieg needs to focus on infrastructure that is green and helpful for the U.S. environment because it's best for his political career and also for the American people. Notice how the framing starts in the introduction, it carries through to the thesis, and then it goes into each one of the points. Let's look at one more example of this. Should the United States withdraw from Afghanistan? Now, a sophisticated thesis would examine this from multiple lenses, namely, what's best for Afghanistan and what's best for the United States. So maybe you say, no, withdrawing from Afghanistan would hurt the United States' global influence and also hurt the country of Afghanistan. First, by ceding the United States' influence in the country to Russia. Second, by emboldening the Taliban. And finally, by decreasing the United States' global legitimacy. Notice how each one of those points addresses some dynamic, whether what's best for the U.S. or what's best for Afghanistan. Maybe you want to take a different answer. You say the U.S. should withdraw, and you have the same thesis. There you could say, the United States' presence has only emboldened the Taliban, there's a moral onus to save the lives of American soldiers, and finally, Afghanistan lacks the same strategic value as other countries might. And there you can talk about countries like Asia, where it'd be more worthwhile to have an American presence in places like South Korea and Japan. Either way, though, not to beat a dead horse, but you're focusing on both different elements. You're focusing on what's best for the U.S. and what's best for Afghanistan. So in these should questions, it's really about examining the dynamics from multiple different perspectives. Now, you also can get will questions. Will blank do blank? A classic example of this is... Now that the Iran nuclear deal is functionally dead, or now that the United States has pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, will Iran nuclearize or develop nuclear weapons? For that, I, there's a, a three-pronged framework you should probably consider. Motivation. Does the country want to do it? Capacity. Does the country have the ability to do it? And opportunity. Do they now have the impetus to do it? So let's apply that to the case of Iran and nuclearization. So first, motivation. Does Iran have the motivation to nuclearize? You can say that they do. They're facing all of these different threats from countries like Saudi Arabia and Israel. And as a result, as Iran finds themselves more isolated in the Middle East, they'll want things to secure their power. Developing nuclear weapons could be a tool in that arsenal. They do have the motivation. Next, do they have the capacity? doesn't matter just what Iran wants, they also need to be able to actually build those nuclear weapons. And in this case, it's clear that Iran does also have the capacity to develop nuclear weapons, because maybe they have a sophisticated weapons development program or something like that. Capacity isn't just technological capacity, though, it's also political capacity. Will political and economic institutions within a country constrain them from being able to, in this case, develop nuclear weapons? So it's not enough to just say that Iran has the technological capacity to develop nukes. We also need to say that they have the financial resources to do so. And then finally, you need something about opportunity. Do they have the perfect impetus to do so? And in this point, you can talk a little bit about why, like, the United States has pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, and maybe that's the final nail in the coffin. Something like that would just really shows to the judge that... Now, especially, there are unique circumstances which are giving Iran a reason to do it now. That's your uniqueness in debate jargon terms. So, any question about will a country do X or will a person do X, three things you need to focus on. Motivation, capacity, and opportunity. Okay, the next type of question is, is blank possible? So, an example of this could be, 
Is peace in Yemen possible? With these types of questions, it's important to analyze it once again through the lens of every single actor. And you're once again thinking about the incentive structures, not through the lens of what should countries do, but what will countries do? So let's go back to this Yemen example. In a case like this, you want to analyze dynamics at every single level. One level could focus on the people of Yemen themselves and Yemeni society. Another level could focus on the international actors engaged in Yemen's conflict, like the United States and Saudi Arabia and Iran and all of those different countries playing a role. And then finally, maybe you're just focusing on rogue actors or actors that aren't domestically involved or even internationally involved, but fall in this hazy gray zone. And those could be terrorist groups, for example, just adding further confusion to the mix. So in a case like this, is, is peace possible in Yemen? You could be like, no, because as things currently stand, none of the actors meaningfully care about it. First, because Yemeni society is polarized on, you know, things like political and economic representation. Second, because the international community itself is too split to fully mediate this conflict. And finally, because terrorists are only further complicating matters. See how a speech like that is analyzing every dynamic. That's what's called a holistic speech, because you're answering the question at every single level. And that's what you need to do to take your speeches to the next level. Now, it's also important to establish that those are the main actors in the conflict. And once again, that starts with the introduction, briefly introducing some of the big power brokers. Yemen's conflict is primarily dictated by three forces, actors directly within Yemeni society, international actors, and also terrorist rogue regimes trying to increase their own influence. Just something that brief can really boost the legitimacy of your speech. Now finally, I want to talk about a different type of speech, which is how can country do blank? Or how can blank do blank? In a question like that, again, you need to have a more holistic approach, analyzing the dynamics at every single level. So in this case, a classic example could be, how can a country grow their economy, just as a general framework? With something like that, you want to consider policies that are truly helping every single level. So a focus on consumers, a focus on businesses, and a focus on the government. Then you're establishing all of the different big actors that play a role in the spending that drives an economy forward. So in this case, when we talk about uh, consumers, you can talk about things like tax cuts for consumers or subsidies to make necessary goods like fuel and food more accessible. And you can also talk about employment programs. Maybe you're creating these government employment programs to hire people like the United States did during the New Deal. So that's one lens. Then you also have the business lens. How can you help businesses, the people employing people? There maybe you talk about tax cuts again, or you talk about privatization, taking state-owned enterprises and allowing the free market to control those industries. So the free market hand can ostensibly or not ostensibly do its job. And maybe you also talk about things like lowering interest rates. So it's much easier for these large financial institutions to uh, easily access loans and provide the liquidity, the cash in the economy necessary for it to continue to grow. And finally, when we talk about the government, maybe here you're like, but we also need effective employment and deployment from the actor which is responsible for its task itself, and that's the U.S. government or whatever government you're talking about. And so maybe in that point you talk about cracking down on corruption and that sort of stuff. 
because paradoxically, the government can take actions to help the government itself become a more effective actor. I know, that was a bit of a word twister, you may have to rewind that to re-listen. But anyways, those are the four major types of questions and just a few different frameworks to consider. Because ultimately, those small wording decisions really make a big influence. And the judge, whether or not you're thinking about it, has very well considered specifically selecting the wording they did, especially at the tournaments that are upcoming, your state tournaments, NCFL nationals, the TOC, and nationals. These aren't going to be your everyday question writers. They're thinking about this from a very sophisticated lens. So the more you can think about that also, the better you'll be as a speaker. Hopefully that was helpful, and good luck with the rest of your season.